Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Fitz Nation. I am grateful to be able to talk to you today. It is Wednesday morning, August 31st. I was actually supposed to do the Contender Series last night, August 30th, week six, but I had zero voice. I mean, I guess I had a voice, but I sounded like a, a sick Muppet. And uh, it just was not conducive to calling fights or uh, speaking on TV in general. But wouldn't you know it, the, the next day, uh, I'm able to talk to you. And we've got an episode today coming out with Joe Pfeiffer. And uh, I loop in Contender Series because obviously Joe Pfeiffer has not fought in the UFC yet. And usually uh, I'll take guests from all walks of life in the UFC, you know, early prelims guys and girls and... Also, uh, obviously, I want the biggest names and to do unique interviews with the highest achievers in the sport. It's rare, and I've never had somebody that has yet to make their UFC debut be on the show. But Joe Pfeiffer uh, obviously made such a statement, and so did Dana White when he said, act like Joe Pfeiffer and be Joe Pfeiffer. Um, and he said something in his interview with Laura Sanko after he won where uh, I knew that there was much more to an already impressive story when you think about he was on the Contender Series, he broke his arm and dislocated his elbow. It was one of those nasty injuries you want to look away from, and his route to get back was a long and arduous one. And then he mentioned briefly in his interview that he is not in touch with his mom and dad and his sisters and his aunts and his uncles throwaway kids was the term he used and I said man there's a story there and he's also a very exciting prospect who looked fantastic in that fight and you could have made a case that without that injury he was on his way to win in his Dana White's Contender Series debut a couple of years ago so plenty to be excited about it's a quick turnaround he actually fights on September 17th which he tells me in this interview is his birthday so he is super excited I'm excited to have him in the UFC and I was really excited to have him on this show very candid with his story very open really nice guy and one of those guys that it seems great that something really good is happening to him this summer and on he goes here we go, folks. It's Fitz Nation with Joe Pfeiffer. Thanks, as always, for listening. I hope you enjoy the interview. Fitz Nation, let's go. I always had to be mega in the zone, ready to go out there on my shield. Be in the question and don't look for the answer because the answer is the end. Think about who I'm fighting for, fight for something greater. At the end of the day, you got to believe in yourself. It's time for the Fitz Nation podcast with your host, Brendan Fitzgerald! If you want to get into the UFC and this is where you want to be, act like Joe Pfeiffer, okay? Be Joe Pfeiffer. Be excited to be here. Be fired up to fight. Try to finish the fight. Try to win. Be Joe Pfeiffer and you will get into the UFC. Hey, Joe Pfeiffer's on the show with a big smile on his face and why not? It is good to hashtag be Joe Pfeiffer these days, isn't it? It is. It is. It's actually a good thing for the first time in my life. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get into all that, Joe. Um, let me first try something here on the show. I haven't done this before, but I want to do it with you if you're if, if that's OK. Can we mm -hmm. watch back this finishing sequence? OK. Can we talk through this here? Contender series, because, you know, normally, Joe, uh, my guests are in the UFC already and they've like fought in the UFC, but you're, you're still on your way in because of what happened here. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming I, up. I mean, dude, second round, 
I, I was excited to be there, just really trying to get my jab working. Um, I knew a jab was uh, something that was really going to keep my range with him being longer than me. And uh, I knew he liked the pressure. Like, he really tried to base his style being uh, being able to pressure me. So just making sure that when he did come in, my jabs were effective versus uh, the volume, quality over quantity in this, in this uh, particular fight. Um but just getting my reads, man. This whole time yeah. I was trying to see when I was going to be able to get that left hook. You see me throw it a couple times. You know, I was kind of forcing it a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I knew I was going to be able to get him coming in. So it was more or less like pressure and then trying to catch him coming in. Um, that's why I was continuing to allow him to pressure me forward and not take the center. So, so you you mentioned you were flat in this fight uh, yeah. afterwards. So how are you feeling now in the second round when it's like it started to become a fight here? finish was coming up in, in probably 30 seconds or so uh, oh there I, mean, it is. I, I i felt i felt i felt good man like mentally i felt good my body didn't feel 100 percent, but i felt yeah. good like i was happy to be there after the last minute of the first round i finally got control of the adrenaline and the nerves and i was like man like i'm excited to be here like I, i'm i knew he didn't hit hard after the first round you hear me say it to his coaches to my yeah. coaches and uh i was just happy to be there man i i truly was and you know, for the first time in my life, in my career, I, I was scared, uh, scared shitless in the back. So, wow. And it wasn't because of Ozzy, you know, my opponent. It was uh, my le my living situation, my life. And, uh, you know, MMA is a very unforgiving sport, man. You lose, you know, that would have been second time trying to get in the UFC. And, um, you know, I, I would have lost a lot of opportunities. How many times have you watched this back? Uh, probably about four or five times. I really okay. like watching that because if you look at that shot, that's only one knuckle that hit him. So, um, you know, I caught him on the button, obviously, but that wasn't even my whole hand. That was just on the tip of his chin. So, and, and when you watch this back, uh, do you think about your performance and studying your technique or do you think about what this has done for your life? No, I, I think about what it's done for my life. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, I'm, I'm my own worst critic. I, you know, it, it's a cliche statement, but it's true. I, 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 I didn't like my performance. Um, you know, I, I gave up a position when I had his back, uh, when I most likely could have flattened him and finished him in the first round. And uh, yeah. I let him reverse me. I can't to do that against, like, high-level jujitsu guys and, you know, top dominant wrestlers. So, uh, you know. A little bit not happy with that. First round was a little bit slow. But, you know, ultimately, I, I still dominated regardless. And that, that's what I care about. Like, when I win, I dominate, you know. So, yeah, I, I don't just back and forth and then win. I, I usually control the fight um, and then get them out of there. I, I want you to react to this soundbite. Can we listen to the soundbite together and then, and then react to it? Of course. It was a crazy event to get back here. If I told you the true explanation, it would take me too long. But I had to lose myself to find myself. And I'm fucking back, baby. Let's go. Ultimately, I came here to get the job done, to change my life. Because when I leave here, guys, this is what I sacrificed. When I leave here, I have no place to live after two days. And I put all that aside just to make it here. My friend tried to kill himself. I love you. I want you to know that. While I was in this training camp a week ago, but I still came here and I wanted to show everybody in the world because this is the platform to do it. Throwaway kids mean something. My dad's not in my life, my mom, my sisters. I don't have no aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents. This is everything I wanted to get on chest. And thank you so much to my team. I joined Team Dave Gracie and John Marquez. You guys want to whoop ass? Come join. When you listen back to that, what do you think? Uh, man, I get, uh, I get the chills. Um, I think that's a kid that never gave up, you know, despite, because here's the thing, Brandon, like everybody told me not to be me. 
everybody made fun of me being me uh, when I say that, like, you know, I worked a regular job in a car dealership and I worked at Verizon and I worked normal jobs. And even in high school and kids that didn't believe, you know, this was something I wholeheartedly had believed in. This isn't something that I found. This is something that I believed in from the get go. And uh, it's what carried me through all the times of self-pity or suicide or depression. So going back and watching it and seeing myself, I, I can't say that it seems or feels surreal, but it feels right. And um, I don't really know what I did right other than being myself. I'm a very vulgar speak what's what's on my mind type person. So uh, I, I just see a kid that was able to express himself and be proud of what I did all these years, you know, and never abandoned. So through being homeless and through being abused and through, you know, being written off uh, essentially too, even after the first contender series, uh, which I expected, but, um, you know, just a kid that is a testimony to being resilient. Like, I never quit, man. And the emotions are still very raw. Like, when you watch that, like, what emotions do you feel now, a few weeks out from that? Oh, man, I feel like such a weight is lifted off my shoulders as far as, like, being able to have a place to live thanks to Dana White because, you know, he uh, he gave me uh, money in the back that basically afforded me to be able to find a place, thankfully. Um, and, and he set up this next fight for a quick turnaround. You know, I did say, I just wanted to get my arm checked out and then get back in there. I didn't want to get out of shape. You know, that he provided a plat, not just a platform for me to better my life and sponsorships and things like that and get people to watch me. But now I also have been provided an opportunity to turn around and fight, uh, relatively quickly. And the only reason that's going to be possible is because I have a steady home um and living situation so you know uh, it, yeah i mean i'm i'm still very emotional like i went back and i watched a couple of, you know just my fights and seeing how i was fighting out of anger because of you know just maturing as a fighter fighting for the wrong reason and you know i fight now obviously to provide for myself and the people i care about and uh you know i love this sport so um it's taught me a lot of self-control it's made me calm down it's given me all the tools i've needed to become um you know, a social butterfly and talk to people and keep friendships, relationships and things like that. Fighting has changed my life as a whole, you know, not just that moment. That moment was the most rewarding because I'm 25 years old and I've been doing this for 20 years, you know, and nobody knows that. So, uh, you know, until you get on a platform like this and get to share your story and your struggle. And uh, that's what, you know, this show, the podcast that I started is all about because every fighter has more often than not a crazy, compelling, wild story. And, uh, you know, and then you make the walk and we give you the shine, but then we call the fight and then it's kind of on to the next one. But you said some things in that interview where a lot of the story of your feature in, in that fight was about the return, right? It was about your dislocated arm um, and the physical kind of battles and the mental battles connected to that injury to get back there. Can you throw out that, you know, your dad wasn't in your life, the term throwaway kids. Uh, you just mentioned homelessness. How would you describe your upbringing, Joe? Um, like a plane headed for full speed ahead, uh, with both engines failed, you know, and you're dive bombing out of the sky and get ready to hit into the ground. Um, it was, uh, I'm trying, sorry about the beeping, by the way, I, I, I took battery out of it and tried to get that thing to stop chirping, <laughs> but you know, so sorry for the it, people watching if that's annoying. Yeah. But. At least we acknowledge it. That's okay. I'm going to try to get on the edit side to, uh, to get out all the beeps that we can, but you know, Dude, I think we'll I'm, roll with it. You know what I mean? All right. All right. <laughs> we've all me. dealt, we've all dealt with the beep, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, dude, I, I took the battery out of it. So I don't know if there's a hidden battery or what. I might just smash yeah. the thing, but, uh, 
but yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, the, the best way I can describe it, you know, because I don't want to go into detail uh, as far as like, you know, events that happen because that, that's not what my my goal is here. I'm not I'm not trying to uh, look. I was abused hands down. Um, neither of my parents can admit it. Um, they still don't admit it. They still don't. They don't respect it. They don't respect me. They don't respect my life. They don't respect what they put, not just me, but my four sisters through, you know, and uh, they don't respect me either in a sense. But, uh, you know, because they don't talk to me and, um, you know, it's OK. Uh, but my childhood was, um, man, I'm, I'm trying to really find the word that, that doesn't cheat how exhausting it was. I would just say exhausting, man. Um, you know, I, I was never taught how to deal with emotions like sadness, anger, depression, um, you know, and, and I didn't even understand what suicide was at like 14, 15 years old, you know, of what it like what I was struggling with. And um, it was very, 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 very toxic and draining and just um devaluing uh you you really grew up and and this is all of my siblings uh you know i have four sisters and myself i'm in the middle it was very uh you felt like you were worthless and you had no place in this life uh and that's the nicest way that i can put it without getting into why so um right. you know at, at the end of the day man we had no self-esteem we were slaves to parents and we were treated as such as not equals as not voices there's nothing more frustrating being a child growing up and feeling like you're you're owned um and you don't have a voice and it's not i wasn't a shit kid man like <laughs> i didn't have friends till i was 12 13 years old and finally in a public school system you know i was raised homeschool with a dad that didn't teach me homeschool, you know, so I got right. cheated as far as education, um, physically, uh, whether they like this or not, whether they see this or not, I was beat the shit out of every day of my life. Both parents point the, the finger at each other. I started getting beat at a year old and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, man, it is what it is. And I'm thankful for everything I've gone through because I've used it all to get to where I am today, which isn't anywhere special, but it's, uh, it's unique to me because I never let it deter me from what I just did, you know, two weeks ago, which is not even win the fight, but just explain my story. You know, uh, I'm not, yeah. I'm not a filtered, I'm not a filtered guy, Brandon. And I don't, the reason I chose fighting, you know, I'm getting into a lot here, but I, the reason I chose fighting is because I never wanted to be filtered. It's the one sport where you are able to be yourself, express yourself, you know, within limits, but, um, you know, really share your story and be unapologetic about it. So that that's, that's what I'm most thankful for. I have a voice now and I showed in my own journey, my own pain, this is how I channeled it. And I did it to do something great. You know, you're a special being if you can get in there and fight at this level. Agree. Agree 100%. Now, I respect your decision not to want to go into specifics for sure. Can you explain why, you know, so you have this platform and stuff like that. And like you said, that's not what I want to get into. That's not what like symbolizes what my story is. Like, what have you thought about using a platform if that's something that you thought about or uh, being who you are on the top level to control your narrative and not be um, somebody that's looking for sympathy? Here's how simple it is. Um, I went through abusive things, but, you know, mental health was probably the most, uh, you know, detrimental. Um, I think anybody would agree with me. You know, I can always forgive the physical part um, because at the end of the day, you know, the part that you carry on is what somebody last said to you, what their lasting impression was, how you were valued, how you were disregarded, how you were, you know, thrown away. And, and when I said throw away kids, 
you know, it's, it's actually funny. And, and I, this actually just sparked in my brain as we're talking about it. Um, someone brought to my attention that my mom who doesn't talk to me posted, she said, you know, you're not a throwaway kid and you know, the truth and people know the truth and things like that. And it got me upset. This person waited to tell me until afterwards, which I thought was the right thing to do. And it's funny because they'll go to social media now that I have uh, a presence, I guess, or a social status or whatever it is. And they'll talk about what isn't true. But when you ask someone, hey, what happened? Did this happen? No, 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 no. It's just complete denial, you know. And that's what's crazy is that my parents both blamed each other. Um, but yet they both worked together to be failures as, as a, a mother and a father. Like we got cheated out of education. We got cheated out of friendships, you know. And, and it is what it is. Life is unfair. But, um, you know, my biggest message is, hey, look, these are the trials and tribulations that I went through and I didn't lose hope in myself, you know. And when I did, I kept asking out. That's the thing. I had issues. I had anger problems. I had doubts. I had insecurities. And um, but I kept reaching out to the next person, the next person, the next person. I didn't want to be stagnant in life. And, um, you know, I may fight and I may be a fighter. But my biggest message is to inspire people to have a passion about something in the short life that we live. Because what really scared me and freaked me out was, uh, you know, how fast life actually does go by. You know, I'll be 26 for my next fight. And I remember being 16 going through everything. So mm-hmm. um, and those were the dark times from about 16 until, you know, even after I left, you know, my my dad. Um, right. It's not like it stopped once I left. I had to right. go and become a man now. And so it was tough, man. It was tough, but I'm still here. I'm a happy right. person. I'm, I'm a very, uh, sense of humor, vulgar humor, you know, probably not the best, <laughs> but you know, I'm unapologetically myself. And that's, that's a true person. I, you know, I had someone also tell me, Hey, you shouldn't curse. And I'm like, look, if you are deterred by the way that I talk, as far as the way I deliver my message and you never heard the message, if you're distracted by a curse word or an F bomb, then you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be watching me anyway, and I'm I'm cool with that. Well, the world is a very different place in that regard too. Uh, number one, like you said, this is the sport to do that, right? If you're in the NFL and you drop a bunch of f bombs in the press conference, it's like, oh my goodness, did you see the so and so quarterback? Like he really went off in in the UFC and in MMA. It's just like, yeah, it's just a person. But then, but like the Tony Rob Tony Robbins drops a lot of drops a lot of language. Gary Vaynerchuk, a lot of you know these these people that are uh positive figures are Gary Vaynerchuk are is speaking my man- in a very different way. My management's owner, by the way. Vayner X. Yes. Vayner I'm a big Sports Gary V fan. Yeah. But, you know, someday I'll get him on the podcast, maybe. <laughs> so Joe, um, this goes for a lot of different situations in terms of a loss of innocence. It can be um coming from the top of the mountain. If you grew up a rich kid and you have servants and mansions and all this, and then all of a sudden you and then you're like, oh, the world is not like this. From your end of things, if you were abused that young, that's all you know. That that's what you know the world to be. When did you start opening your eyes to what I'm going through and what I've dealt with is not normal? When did do you remember that? Yeah, that, look, middle school, eighth grade, when I finally. So you got to understand, I, I started out homeschooled. So I used to be afraid to ask my dad to give me a twenty-letter spelling bee test. Because he would scream at us for whatever reason, because he didn't want to do it. You know, I'll get the fuck out of here. Blah, blah, blah. All of us were terrified of him, hands down terrified. But then the other side, sometimes he would be cool. He'd be chill. You'd be able to go to him and, you know, you caught him once a week and you'd be lucky. So, uh, you know, 
we didn't get taught. That's really what the, the problem was. We didn't get taught. We didn't have friends. It was just us. And when I say no aunts, uncles, grandparents, I don't remember my mom's mom. I don't remember my mom's dad. I don't think I ever met him. Um, and if I did, I was way, way, way too young because they had the same toxic cycles. Like they fought with their parents and they blamed them right. and all, all this shit. So when I realized things weren't normal is when I started going to public school, I was proud to be a jujitsu kid. And my dad didn't want me to tell anybody. And it was like a, a secret. And it was like, well, we're, we're, I don't, I don't have anything else interesting about my life. You know, I, I don't know what to tell kids and you know, I'm getting bullied and shit and I don't want people to fuck with me and they're, they're bullying me and messing with me and making fun of my clothes and where I lived and saying I lived in a shack and all this shit, you know, and these are fucking kids that live in the golf course. So, but I knew it just based off of how parents go to interactions, they support their kids in sports, you know, kids are talking about going on vacations and just, uh, you know, they, they go and they do things with their parents and, uh, you know, even just seeing how they interacted, man, I knew it wasn't normal. I knew from the, I knew, I knew the second I stepped in a public school, like, man, these kids have no idea. And then as I got older, man, I think what really sunk in was the amount of lies I was told. You, the, you know, you idolize your parents. And if you don't know any better, you're not around anybody else. How would you ever question it? So the second I got around people that were, I don't want to say normal, but um, social, and sure. I got to have my own social experiences and friendships, relationships, things like that. I knew something was for sure wrong. And, and I knew it couldn't have been normal for a parent to have that kind of hatred towards, you know, their kids in general. I, I just knew it wasn't possible. How um, have you broken the cycle? Because I remember Jessica, I, she made it very clear, like her father and her were physical, like her father was physical with her. And then she came to grips with it. Um, partially she told me because she knows that he beaten up by his parents. Uh, and it was like what he, he had his own challenges in life for you. Uh, what do you think has broken the cycle for you to want to be out of that and not go through that whole thing and just remove yourself completely instead of just being the angry kid who this is how I'm going to treat people. Cause this is how I was treated. I forgave them both. Simple. I forgave them both. I don't want to carry that shit with me in my heart and my mind. I get this like, uh, Almost like a, if you've ever looked at a cigarette person's lungs, that black char gets stuck to you. You carry mm -hmm. it around. When you talk about it, you feel it. Uh, when you talk about things, like, you know, especially negative shit. It, it, and I'm sometimes a negative person still, you know what I mean? But yeah. when you talk about shit, it sits in your brain and then you feel numb. And I got tired of feeling numb. I was walking around with an empty hole in my chest for so, so long. I said, this is where it hit me hard after winning the UFC uh, contract because I go back and I watch my fights. And I was just fighting out of anger to prove this dude wrong. Like, in my head, I'm proving this motherfucker wrong because, oh, you're never going to make it. You're a fucking bum. You'll be sweeping floors. You'll be a janitor. You suck dick. All this shit. Like, literally, that's the kind of vulgarity. You're proving, you're proving your dad wrong. That's what you're saying. That's how I was fighting in the beginning. Yeah, like, fuck this guy. I'm proving him all wrong. You know, even, even my mom. Like, I'm going to prove him all wrong. They don't believe. And then the little bit of success I had when I, I tried to develop a relationship, it was taken away with... It's only because I got you in this. Only you owe me your life. Like every type of little bit of success you had to fight to keep because it was taken away from you. So uh, the way I broke that cycle is I forgive, man. I'm a good human being, bro. I, I know I have a good heart and that makes me a good human being. I care about people. I, I don't really know to what extent my dad actually cares about somebody. I don't know how much my mom actually cares about somebody besides themselves. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was I was in another situation too where it's like 
one of my friends chose themselves, man. And it's like, and didn't give a fuck that I was on the achieving something that I've been chasing for 20 years, you know? So I just have to forgive people like that and, and move on, man. It's not, it's not everybody. The guy I mentioned, Adam Ferris is the reason why I have this place as far as an opportunity to even live somewhere. Um, he's my strength and conditioning coach, you know, Mike Hartman, he's a guy that's been a father role, uh, to me because I met him down for the first time I ever went to a beach bar in secrets and, you know, they've been some of the most impactful people in my life, including my former coach, Sam Morpisa. Like I've, I've forgiven people because I don't want to be like him. I don't yeah. want to carry that anger. You age, you age. I held it in my face as I became an adolescent. Like you just become so pent up and angry and you fucking hate the world and you judge everybody. I don't hate people. And, uh, if I hate someone, you're probably a shitty person. <laughs> yeah. How would you describe uh, your entry into martial arts? You mentioned you're a jujitsu kid, and what martial arts was able to do for you? Yeah, my dad. Uh, my dad started uh, jujitsu, and uh, as he was starting, I kind of got introduced. Four and a half years old, um, you know, and I obviously didn't have a choice. And uh, you know, I actually hated it. I fucking couldn't stand it until about thirteen years old. Then I really started liking it, and it it wound up becoming my escape from all the shit going on at home. Cause I was able to excel in it and I was good and, or at least I felt good. you know, maybe I fucking sucked, but I, I think I was good. So, um, yeah, I mean, I started competing at five years old. This is how I like to word it. My dad gave me the tools and I went and I built a house with it. So, right. Um, you know, maybe he didn't mean to give me those tools to the point that I went and built, you know, this entire mansion here. But, uh, you know, that, that's how I like to interpret it. He gave me the tools and I could have thrown them away, but I kept them. Um, because it was the only thing he actually gave me. Uh, so, you know, in a sense, I felt thankful for him after this fight because, you know, if he didn't do anything right, at least he gave me this foundation and I made something of it. So, now, d did you ever say, I can use this jujitsu if things get abusive at home? No, no. I, uh, wasn't it. Nah, I only I only say that because in San Diego, the girl who started fighting at 14 got into MMA because her mom was getting abused and she was like, I need to protect my family. So that's why now, that was that was that one of the people that were just on the contender? No, she uh, Yasmin Lucindo was the girl and she was she's 20 years old. She's the youngest fighter in the UFC right now. But she wow. started for, she started her pro career in Brazil at 14 years old. She started oh, wow. in MMA because it was an abusive family. So that just it was top of mind. Uh, from that when did you think that fighting would be something that you could do more than just as an escape uh you know, something that could turn into a career something that could it, set your life up in a different way so i grew up watching mma fights you know when you had dial up and wait an hour for it to load <laughs> yeah, you had to yeah. watch it so I, I grew up you know my dad was a boxer out of kensington my dad did revert back on that my dad was abused himself um in his words and was homeless and you know this is all him you know, from what I heard from him. So, and, uh, I, I don't doubt in some way he probably had some abuse and, um, I know, I know his mom probably wasn't the best to him. And I think he probably had a harder life than I did, uh, believe it or not. So, uh, he grew up in Kensington, Philadelphia, but, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've always envisioned the UFC, literally the UFC, nothing else, um, from the time of eight years old. And I always used to dream about, you know, when they're going to be chanting my name and, uh, I always used to think, like, what's my nickname going to be? Pictured, I never pictured the fight itself. It was always walking out and having 20,000 people 
that were excited to see me fight. So I would say eight years old, eight years old and up. I, I always kept saying, I want to fight. I can't wait to fight. Can't wait till I'm 18. You know, I thought I was going to fight right at 18. So uh, got a little bit of a late start at 20, but yeah. here we are. Well, so you're 25 turning 26. And I know you're like, uh, it, life goes fast. It's, it's aging. And I remember, so, uh, for the podcast audience, uh, who were you in the corner for? What kind of connected with you earlier this year? Andre Petrowski. You're in the corner for Andre. And, uh, I remember you were like, Oh, contender. And, and I kind of put together, I was just like, yeah, Joe Pfeiffer. I know that name. And then dislocated arm. I was like, Oh geez. Um, and you were like, yeah, man. And, and you kind of, um, you kind of undersold yourself. Like, like it's taken a long time to get here. Right. And I was yeah. just like, how old are you? And you're like 25. And I'm like, we see people all the time. They get into the UFC at 23. By the time they're 25, they're out. You know yes. what I mean? It's just like, but what can you say now? It's always easy for older people to say, just be patient. You'll be good. But what can you say about um, looking in the rearview mirror at bad things and understanding that they're now good things? Don't stare too long in the rearview mirror, man. What happened in the past is in the past. You know, I won't forget it, but uh, I'm not going to be driving a car looking in the rearview mirror. I'm going to be looking at what's ahead. So uh, I'm just trying to move forward in my life, man. I'm trying to make new experiences, new memories. Um, I'm trying to make this, you know, a good time. I'm not, I'm not, I'm in the UFC, but I'm 0-0 in the UFC. You know, they don't count your record beforehand. They don't give right. a shit what you did before the UFC. So basically, I'm a, I'm a debut pro fighter in the UFC. And you never hear anybody that gets in the UFC – whether you're 35 or 25, you know, it, exactly. You could be in there 23 and you're out by 25. So um, I think everything happened for a reason. I, I don't regret anything. I don't wish it happened any differently, especially now the way everything has unfolded. Um, I think I needed to mature. I think I needed to get to where I'm at right now, have everybody else's problem as my own, because that's the problem. You take on everybody else's shit. And I've had to literally learn to block all that out. Uh, especially this last camp. So, yeah. And you know, I made a change, man. Like I, I made it to the, dude, I made it to the UFC contender, Brendan, with a coach that I was training three times a week with, um, sometimes four. COVID, um, had to sneak into a gym because everybody was worried with this bullshit COVID crap. Um, you know, not being able to train and, you know, it's just the, the fact that I made it to the UFC, how I made it to the UFC the first time. And I was going to win that. I was on my way to winning that fight. Yeah. Uh, listen, I was missing a lot of tools and I was doing it wrong for a long time. And, um, maybe if I never broke my arm, I wouldn't have fixed it that fast, but you know, I'm in the right place. I'm with the right team. Um, I got the right coaching. I, I got the right living situation now. And yeah, I mean, what happened in the past is in the past, man. The only reason I speak about it now is because I want to help other kids. Yeah, I want to, I, tr I truly want to help other kids and I'm not even a big kid guy, but kids are the innocence of the world until corrupted and that's a fact and i was hardened by unfortunately the unfair life circumstances that we all encounter at some point it's the life we live everybody's yeah. taking nobody's giving shit back so um yeah what is the value for you i'm not going to sit here and say it's better to build your own family than to have a love family, right? Obviously, a lot of people out there would say, yes, I am who I am because of a relationship with my parents, but you've had a different road. Uh, what would you say the value is for you in the fact that you've been able to build your family? Uh, it's not like these are the people in my house, so I, I have to have this connection with them. You get to totally you know, build from the ground up, like you said. 
who who's in your life and who you're strongly connected to. I feel more respected being able to build the fan I've built, you know, as outside people, I guess you would say. Um, I feel very fortunate. You know, one of my close friends, David Stevens from high school, uh, I had, he got to see me win my UFC contract. He also saw me watched on TV, me break my arm. And he's one of the kids that I, he's like two years younger than me. He's 23 or 22. You know, I, I mentioned him specifically because I look at him like a little brother. He knew when I was angry. He met me when I was angry. He met me when I was all fucked up. And, you know, a lot of people didn't want to work with me, Brendan. Like I had coaches that turned me down and people that said no, and nobody wants to sponsor and help. And it's hard to start out in this and get people to really believe uh, in your brand, essentially. So I've really gotten to uh, build my family. And uh, here's the thing I don't like about, you know, um, blood family. They say blood sticking in water, that bullshit phrase. But at the end of the day, man, it's, it's a respect thing. And family often crosses that line of respect because they're your family. And uh, that's one thing I don't like about blood relatives. You know, they, they hate my dad so much. And look, I, I, I don't, for i don't negate the things that the guy did but you know they hate his last name they hate the name pfeiffer i'm the fifth joseph oliver pfeiffer and they can't stand him but they won't get rid of his name you know and it, it's it's something that really bothers me because then when i do something they're always attached to me and that was something i struggled with for a while because i wanted to be my own break off i wanted to do my own thing but i'm so fortunate brendan at the end of the day with this long run on answer i'm giving you yeah it's, it's a lot to compress into one short sentence i don't hang around people <laughs> that even smoke weed or do drugs or and it's not because i think i'm a goody two shoes but i never was into that shit. i was always trying to figure out how to better myself and and i want to make relationships friendships i got into cars you know what i mean i got into motorcycles things like that like i found healthy outlets you know i work with my hands i need to be outside and you know i met great people through my gym life and uh you know, I've, I've been inspired by some of my gym teammates. Where do you think that comes from, your um, positivity? The positivity. I don't know. Being thankful, man. Being thankful. Look at look at, look at at what I just did. I was a kid that had no story and no voice, and Dana White gave me a voice and a story. I actually felt some type of way towards him just because of all the narrative and him, you know, saying no and when he's angry and people ask him dumb shit. But that guy deals with a lot, man. And I'm not, I'm not kissing Dana White's ass, but I'm kissing Dana White's ass because that dude gave me a, 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 a leg up in life that I never thought he would ever want to hear or give a shit about. And, uh, you know, contrary to belief, I think the dude actually cares. And, um, and he was super nice to me and got me out there to Texas and gave me his seats and, you know, let me walk in the back and, and just was smiling and smiling and smiling. I'm not saying that, you know, he loves me or whatnot, but, you know, I, I was so thankful that he gave a kid like me who was always told, hey, you'll never fucking make it. Um, he made it that much more true. In the history of Contender Series, he's never said be like anybody. I don't even know in the UFC um, that, that I can recall, you know, but, you know, be like Joe Piper is, is huge for me because all my life I was told I was doing something wrong. And I always thought I had something wrong with me mentally. So um, I did something right, Brendan. You sure did, man. Now, when he said that, I want to go into it. When he said, be Joe Piper, act like Joe Piper, were you still in the back with medicals? Or yeah, I did not hear that live. You didn't hear it? No. Yeah. I actually didn't know I got the contract until I walked out and they guided me to Sarah. Right, because you're the last one. So a lot of times that guy's still waiting and he'll go through the other three, four fights of the night and kind of say, who's got the contract? And, and it, it would have given you time to do that. I was he also wanted, saying my, you know, I was given, 
I don't know if the words condolences. I was just giving Ozzy Diaz a little little earful about you know just uh, mental health, and um, I think he's a guy that also struggled like me. So it, yeah, uh, I think I'm good, trying not to get upset, but uh, you know it, it hurt me. You know this is a very unforgiving sport, man. And when I'm in there, I'm here to kill these motherfuckers, and I, I swear on that. But afterwards. Um, you know, I care about him as a person. I hope he builds himself back up and believes in himself like I did and get back in there. Um, because he's not, he was, he was not no bum. And I think the UFC believed in him and believed in his five flight KO streak. And, you know, I yeah. think he was a good, he was just a good human being, man. You know what I mean? So I was in the back. And then when I walked to Laura Sanko the second time, I was like, I didn't even give a shit if I got the contract. I was just happy that I won that moment, you know? Yeah. And yeah. ultimately, I never, to be honest, I know how I am. I, you can ask my teammates, I was never worried about getting a contract if I won, hands down. I believed 1,000% that that was not something to worry about. I knew the second time when I won, I was going to get a contract. So I, that's why I wasn't really shocked at getting a contract. I right. was more shocked at the, the kind words that I, you know, Dana White was when you When me. you watched it afterwards, what did you think to hear him say what he said? Oh man, I was, I, first of all, my cheeks fucking hurt. So I, uh, <laughs> I was just hyped, man. Like I was like, dude, I have a voice. I did this shit. It, it's like, it didn't process. Like I, I couldn't, I, I almost couldn't accept or it was in denial that something this good, like, look, man, when you, when you go through being abused and anybody watching this that has ever gone through abuse, everybody knows what it feels like to almost get something. And then it gets taken away from you and almost get there and it gets taken away from you. And, and then you start becoming a negative motherfucker because you don't believe something good's ever going to happen in your life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to finally get there, it's almost like the part that makes it surreal is like, holy shit, I did this. And, and, and nobody's here trying to take it from me. I, I right. got this. I got a contract. That's my name. That's my name on TV. I'm not shocked by any of it. I'm just taken back. Like, man, I worked fucking hard. I worked yeah. hard, man. So, and I still got a lot more work to go. You so. sure do, man. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can only imagine everything that went into it. I mean, we, you know, and it's like we didn't even get to the elbow thing. I mean, we touched on it briefly. Like, is that a major part of your story, or because of everything else you've been through, is that almost just like now that it's in the rearview mirror? Is it like, yeah, I was injured and then I came back? Like, how do you nah, do that? Man, that it's I mean, a, it's a, dude, it's a big part of the story. Because yeah, it, it took you, what, like two years? took me two years. That was my second fight in two years. Second fight. So you want to talk about ring rust? That's also why I was flat. You know what I mean? Yeah. I got to get out there, and I got to feel this energy. I got to get this pace going at a real fight pace. You can train as hard as you want in the gym. It's just different. And, uh, you know, and I was in great shape. I was in good shape. You know, I was smaller than I am normally. I'm, 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 I'm in great shape right now. I'm lean. Dude, I'm gonna have hardly gotta no tell way. you. I mean, I mean, I'd like to look like Joe Pfeiffer. Look like Joe Pfeiffer be decent too. With, you know, no, you don't want to look like Joe Pfeiffer. I got a fucking receding hairline, bro. Come on, the muscle. I need the muscle. All right. Well, I appreciate it. You might want to look like Luke Rockhold, man, because that dude chiseled. <laughs> or Paulo Costa. Yeah, let's know. look like Paulo Costa. Yeah. And they got killer tans. I how think. uh how how was it dealing with trying to throw a punch with that arm. Like we hear a lot of times a quarterback blows his knee out. Then they're a little squeamish. If there's guys crown his ankles in the pocket Dude. for you throwing that punch or, or, you know, excruciating, terrifying, excruciating. And, and let's just start with, I just want to start. Cause I don't want to cheat that part. Cause that was something that was huge. You know, I work 18 years to get somewhere and, you know, I wanted to tell my story two years ago, two and a half years ago, whatever it is. I think it's two years ago, like this month. Yeah. Around now. Um, and, uh, you break your arm, 
Dana White puts it out there. It's, not, it's only a dislocation. It was much more than a dislocation. I ripped tendons, ligaments. I broke the radial head. Um, you know, I, I, I fucked up some, ripped some muscles and things like that. Like, it was bad. Uh, and it was like, you know, then the narrative was that Dustin Solstice was, you know, he was busting his legs up. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. People really thought this dude, I took him down. We had the same amount of strikes. I took him down. I kept him down. And then I wanted to get up. And start teeing off on him and start opening up the hands. It was start slow, build high. That's what I wanted to do with this guy. And, you know, I, I made it, I made an instinctual mistake because I was going to go for a guillotine and that's not my style, but I heard my coach call it. So I went for it and then I put my arm out and I snapped. It is what it is, you know, but the heartbreak in that moment, you're just carted off in the ambulance and that's it. You don't hear nothing from the OC. You don't hear nothing from the staff. You don't hear nothing from nobody, you know, and just like, I just remember them closing the ambulance doors and I'm leaving the apex and I'm like, well, fuck. <laughs> and I just start crying man. I started losing it. It was like, what am I going to do with myself? I've been fighting back to back to back to back to get here. You know, I just got over a depression with my very first loss because my very first loss came from the fact that I was dominating a guy was going through emotional things before and suicide and things like that. Um, Cause I still didn't grasp all my emotions and how to handle them. Mm -hmm. I get choked unconscious on a fight that I was absolutely dominating, gassed out and then realized, Oh shit, I'm not angry at my dad anymore. What am I fighting for? I'm not fighting for me. I don't feel like being here. I didn't want to be there. And I have no shame in saying that. Like I didn't feel like fighting. I didn't want to be there. And you know, that's me maturing as a man trying to figure out what this lasting, like, do you love fighting that much? So I had to question a lot of things. Then I come back, I fight, I win, I get a contender series shot. I get there. I break my arm. Here we are. Now I have to find myself. And it's like, what are you worth? You don't hear from the people that you heard, usually heard from. Sponsorships walked away from me. They didn't answer my text calls, no nothing. I can't ask for help, you know, financially because I'm not fighting. So it was tough, man. I go and I get a surgery. I joined Team Daniel Gracie and Marquez MMA. I think I'm good to go back, you know, after the first surgery, after like six months and the worst physical therapy uh, pain-wise that you have to go through. It, it truly was awful. I do pads with Coach Marquez. I start training, go back, get a second opinion because they, the stabbing pain was excruciating and the amount of, think of your worst case of tendonitis 24-7. Keeps yeah. you up, can't sleep. It, it was awful. It was so tender. The scar was so tender. I felt like my skin was just going to rip apart where the scar was because it's a big scar. It's like this yeah, no, as long as you see it on your arm, uh, yeah. You know, I go, I get a second opinion, and there's a bone growth behind there, and I still have a torn forearm somehow. So I was training with a torn forearm and still had a bone growth behind, and they're prying on your arm with all their weight to get it straight. You know, my arm still isn't straight, but yeah. they're prying all their weight on there, and it's like, oh, shit, you got to get it. You got to get this cut out, and you got to go get it done. So, you know, they cut the fascia. They cut out the bone. They had to repair in there, and then you're out for another six months. So it, it's Fucking was mentally draining, you know, living out of my coach's basement still. And just, uh, you feel worthless, Brendan. You know what I mean? You give a lot to the sport and, uh, it's very little reward. And even still like, you know, I'm not going to make Buku dollars getting in the UFC right now, but I'm going to make some fucking noise and then I'm going to make some money. So until you get an opportunity like what I got and you do what I did, you'll never really make any money in this. So imagine what I have in my bank account, you yeah. know, going through all this, nothing. Um, when you said when you describe being injured and they close the ambulance doors daunting like, i mean that is a side of this sport that is almost never seen 
gosh, man, like that, that is such a powerful thing. Like, do you put yourself back in that position to celebrate how far you've come ever? Or do you try to, I mean, is that, that's, you know, this that's is a book. A, this is a book. Brandon. A happy memory. Yeah. This is a book, brother. This is uh there's chapters to life. That was chapter, whatever, you know, this is a new chapter. And yeah. uh, now that chapter is in the past and this chapter coming up is what matters. And I don't, like I said, I don't, I used to look in the back and look in my rear view mirror way too much. And uh, it fucked my head up and it made me angry. It made me resentful. It made me despise, disgusted. And uh, it also, it ultimately made me depressed because I kept trying to process it all and mm -hmm. figure it out and regurgitate it. It's all your brain is doing is thinking, 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 thinking. And it's like, man, for what dude? Like I'm, 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 I'm a healthy for the most part kid. Um, who's trying to find his his path in life and i found it uh, I, I've, I've known it and um you know i had to go all in man we'll leave it there on the audio version of the fitz nation podcast with joe pfeiffer appreciate you listening and i hope you enjoyed his story most of the meat and potatoes there about his background in philadelphia um the disconnect with his immediate family finding the new family is kind of what we focus on for the rest of the interview, which is exclusively on UFC Fight Pass, where you can watch it. You can also listen to, if you close UFC Fight Pass, it'll still play. It's not like YouTube where you have to be watching it for it to work. And they're only gonna improve the podcast playability up on that platform of UFC Fight Pass as they kind of build up the uh, Podcast Central. They're on UFC Fight Pass and uh, I'm happy to be a part of it, but I'm really happy that uh, I can share the interview in this form as well with an exciting middleweight prospect. Again, we talk more about the team in Philadelphia, which is undefeated at this moment in the UFC. Pat Sabatini, Jeremiah Wells. Uh, look at me, now I'm drawing a blank. Sean Brady is kind of the bell cow right now who has a big fight in Abu Dhabi in October against Bilal Muhammad. And there's somebody else I'm missing and I apologize, but that, that John Marquez, Daniel Gracie in Philadelphia, man, they're really uh, churning out some quality fighters these days. And Joe Pfeiffer is among that group. And again, September 17th, I think it's Alan Amadovsky he faces. And uh, I looked at the line the other day. He's a big favorite. So the summer of momentum perhaps continues into the fall for Joe Pfeiffer. Uh, as always, you can follow me at Brendan Fitz TV on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. I am sharing clips of the show non-stop. I'm also sharing uh, you know, some just some jokes and some behind-the-scenes stuff. My thing went viral on Twitter with Bill Belichick since the last I talked to you. Um, stopped in last Wednesday into the UFC headquarters. I was just like, let me see. I know the Patriots are here. I just found out that morning. And wouldn't you know it, I walk into the PI. The whole Patriots group is walking by. I saw Devin McCourty. And I used to cover the Patriots when I worked in Boston back 2012 to 2014. And so when you're a member of the Boston sports media, they kind of hold you at arm's length, obviously. And certainly Bill Belichick does. And so he was standing by himself behind the group. And I just went up to him. I said, hey, Bill, you know, I'm from Cape Cod. Good to meet you as uh, not a member of the Boston sports media this time. And uh, we had a laugh about that. He says he loves Cape Cod. And then, obviously, Dana comes down and puts the belt on him. And I just whipped out the phone. I was like, this is pretty cool. And uh, ESPN got it. NFL Network wanted it. And I just said, yeah, share it all over. Just tag Brendan Fitz TV. I'm putting out great social media content. Uh, thank you all again for listening. I feel like I say thank you 700 times, but uh, I am very grateful that this show is where it is, and it's only going to keep going because of the support from listeners like you. 
Have a great day. Talk to you next time on Fitz Nation.